0: Welcome to The Carl Reader Show. Hello, and welcome to The Carl Reader Show, where today I'm delighted to be joined by broadcaster, keynote speaker, and humorist Jeremy Nicholas. Jeremy, great to have you on the show. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Now, before I dive into my usual first question Mm. of who is Jeremy, which is coming, you're not getting out of it. What is the difference between a humorist and a comedian?
1: Yes. Now, I've only recently decided I am a humorist. I used to say I was a comedian. And then I was working with some speaker bookers because I do a lot of professional speaking. And I said to them, would you book me to host your award show if I said I was a comedian? And they said no because we'd be worried that you'd be irresponsible and you might swear and you might say something unpleasant. But we would book you because we've seen you do award shows and we know you're good at them. And I said, so if I've just had my website redone and I've said writer, broadcaster, comedian, that would be bad. And they said yes. So I changed it to writer, broadcaster, humorist. Fantastic. Um, And then actually recently I've I've got rid of writer and put keynote speaker uh, just because... I think it's kind of assumed you can write if you've done all those other things. Yeah. Well, it, it is. But, you know, that's something
0: that I missed off from my intro. So it's probably a really good point for you to tell us your own story.
1: Yeah. OK, so 27 years with the BBC and other lesser broadcasters. Um, so I had a few years on the dark side. I was at um, Granada Sky and I was at Talk Sport, but mainly BBC, BBC World Service, BBC London, uh, Five Live doing news and current affairs type shows so so quite serious stuff Uh, but I would always mess about a bit and you know when I say mess about just have a sort of lighter touch so you know if you think of people like Adrian Childs or John Inverdale or Claire Balding those sort of people I did a lot of news a lot of sport uh, but I had this lighter touch so then I they said you know can you present a breakfast show so I did that on BBC London Uh, we won an award for that Sony award Uh, And then I did some very serious stuff on the BBC World Service, where you have to speak very slowly and remember to pause. And that was a show called The World Today, which was great, you know, and I really enjoyed doing it. And, you know, it was nice to talk to 200 million people in the Pacific Rim, which was where my show went to. Um, But. You know, there's not, there weren't many laughs to be had when I did interviews about the Ugandan general election. You know, they, they, they didn't like it if you put jokes in. So it, so
0: it didn't really fit you as a person? It didn't
1: fit me, no. So, sure. you, you know, you do some jobs because if you've always wanted to be a broadcaster and then you're offered your own show on the BBC World Service, you're going to do it, aren't you? But there has to come a time when you think, yeah, but actually there's a lot of people that are a lot better at that than me. You know, there's, there's a lot better Jeremy's than me. You know, Jeremy Paxman, Jeremy Vine, you know, that sort of serious stuff. So, um, I I call myself the 11th most famous BBC Jeremy. Okay. Yeah. So, you've got Jeremy Clarkson, Jeremy Paxman, Jeremy Vine, Jeremy Bowen, six others, and then I'm about number 11. I've never really made it. It might be one
0: team. hell of a football team. It'd
1: be a hell of a football team. And, you know,
0: that brings us on to one of your passions, football. Yes,
1: football, yeah. Uh, so big West Ham fun. Um, grew up in East London, so if you don't get a choice, you... you no West Ham fan is a Glory Hunter. Last time we won anything was the Well, Europe. you say that. Yeah. I
0: grew up in South End.
1: Oh, okay. And I can
0: assure you that the Glory Hunters were West Ham.
1: Yes, I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, you... uh, yeah, we had a
0: West Ham shop for the Glory Hunters.
1: Yes. There was, <laughs> that was a bit controversial when they opened that West Ham. It Open was. South End, wasn't it was. Yeah, yeah. not It was like, what's that doing here?
0: Yeah, well, it was so, soon sort of a brick through the window from what I remember. Oh, was it? It was. Yeah. Yeah, the, the joys of um, that side of the world.
1: So I, I grew up spotting West Ham and... All I ever really liked at school was football and music. And so, you know, when the careers teacher say, what do you want to do? I say, I really like football and music, but I'm not really good enough to be a footballer. But I'd like to talk about it. Oh, well, that's not really a job that people do. Well, it is, isn't it? Because people do it. Yeah, but it's a bit, you know, you'd be much better doing engineering or something sensible. Um, And I liked music, but I couldn't play an instrument or anything and I couldn't sing very well. Um, So I went off and did engineering at university. Okay. Um, Hated it four years at Bradford mechanical engineering but because I didn't really like that because I didn't find any creativity in it and there was no point where you could really mess about because it was you know just a lot of very logical stuff I started doing student radio and that was what kept me sane really sure Um, and I realized at the end of it um, I'd been sponsored by British Steel I was due to go and join the British Steel Research Center at Corby in Northamptonshire and I would, when I'd been there on industrial attachment, I'd been on a project collapse testing North Sea oil pipelines because the oil in the sea was getting deeper and deeper as it they started uh, drilling it all out. And um, so they had to make the tubes stronger. And so I was on a project to work out exactly what sort of formula of steel that would make it stronger without making it brittle. Sure. And we used to pump these tubes up until they burst and then we'd cut them up and then we'd look at them under microscopes. And I I just thought, I can't, I don't think I can do that. No, it doesn't
0: stuff. generate much laughs, Where, does it?
1: No, there's no, where's the fun in that? You know, it was quite sure. funny when it went, <laughs> when the actual tube burst. But then there was a, a week of cutting it up and looking at it under microscopes and then saying to the me- metallurgist people, yeah, put a little bit more carbon in that. and then then try again oh no yeah no it's it's less brittle but it's not as strong yeah a little less carbon in that i can't do that so um i then applied to do a postgrad in broadcast journalism okay um in portsmouth so you know some beautiful cities bradford and portsmouth and um did uh, this one-year course to become a radio journalist and i think in, in my mind i thought I was, like, learning to be someone on the radio, but it turned out the course was very specifically to be a news person on OK, the radio sure. Because you had... There was, like, legal things to make sure you didn't libel people and do contempt of court and stuff. Um, and so then I, uh, I went off and got a job as a news reporter. Fantastic. On radio in Hull. So another beautiful city. Yes. You know, this was before TripAdvisor. I just, I just got lucky, I think. Bradford, Portsmouth, <laughs> Hull, you know. And... Um, And then I had nine months there and that was all lovely. Um, But eventually I joined the BBC in Nottingham and then gradually worked my way back to London. Mm.
0: And whilst in London, you were the voice of West Ham.
1: Voice of West Ham. yes. So uh, 1998, I I got that because I just kept talking about West Ham on the radio all the time. And then they had a new sound system put in and they decided that they didn't want the previous announcer because he was a travel agent and he kept promoting um, tours that he was doing. Oh dear, <laughs> you can't redo really that. Um, so I got. They, they said we've got a new sound system in, so we thought we'd get a broadcaster in. And you're a West Ham fan. Do you want to do it? And I said no, not really, because I like shouting at the players when they're not doing what I wanted. Mm. You know, and and with West Ham players, that was a lot of the time. So I said no. And then three days later, they rang me again and said, Well, have you thought about it? And I went, oh, Okay, I'll do it. And then I did it for 16 years
0: fantastic and this proved um to end up being the basis for your book so so tell us about your book
1: yeah well one of my books i've I've written Hmm. three okay Um, so i did did one book on how to deal with the media how to come across well in interviews which as you can see i've you know taken on board myself here with this flawless interview i've done so far (laughs) so that's called media masters and i co-wrote that with alan stevens another professional speaker uh, and then I wrote a book on how to be a better public speaker, which is called A Million Tips on Public Speaking, brackets, volume one, close sure. brackets, because just between you and me, there's not quite a million in there. And then my autobiographical... Uh, I can't say that word. My autobiographical <laughs> one uh, is Mr Moon Has Left the Stadium, and that is about the first ten seasons as the announcer at West Ham.
0: OK. And can you tell us a bit more about that title?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so Mr Moon is the name of the... But he doesn't really exist. Mr Moon, every football club has to have a safety announcement that says when there's some kind of security alert. But, you know, you, it would be alarming to the crowd if over the PA they went, there's a big security alert, everyone would be panicking. So they all have coded messages. So on the London Underground, for example, it's, it was, um, well, in, in theatres in Victoria times, they, if there was any kind of fire type problem, they'd say, would Mr Sands come to the stage? And it would be because you put sand on a fire or also on someone being sick, you put sand on. So it's Mr. Sure. Sands. On the London Underground, it's Detective Sands or Inspector Sands, I think uh, I've heard. Inspector Sands come to the control room. It means there's some kind of alert. Uh, and a f- all football grounds have a different name and they tend to pick a fairly obscure name because if, if it was Mr. Smith, you know, you'd have 10,000 Mr. Smiths going, sorry, what was that? What have I got to do? So they picked the name Mr. Moon um, because one of the stewards... Um, who was actually a Cornishman, and it's a Cornish surname. He was called Mr Moon. He said, no one will have that, so they picked that. And then, you know, for years as a fan, I would just hear, it's just an automatic recording that comes on if someone's having a cheeky fag in one of the toilets, sets off a smoker alarm, and it says, Mr Moon is in the stadium. And for years, everyone would go, (laughs) and he'd be in the stadium for about 10 minutes until the alert is finished. And then another little automatic message plays saying, Will the stadium manager please note, Mr Moon has left the stadium and everyone cheers again. And no one knew what it meant, Um, but they would always just cheer Mr Moon. Do you
0: know, I've never noticed um, in years of watching football, I've never noticed something like that happen. I'm sure next match I'll hear it.
1: Probably, yeah. Um, But at West Ham, Mr Moon became a bit of a legend because he would only ever stay for 10 minutes. Sure. And everyone else would say, oh, he's so lucky, we've got to sit through the rest of this. Um, so then I became the voice of Mr. Moon when they went to a digital system. They stopped having this little old tape. So I was the voice of Mr. Moon. And so sometimes even if I was interviewing a, an old player on the pitch at half time, I would be interrupted by myself as a digital announcement saying Mr. Moon is in the stadium. And everyone mm. would be very puzzled because it would be the same voice. But it was just, just a thing. But then when, uh, when we moved to that dreadful Olympic stadium, I don't want to give my opinions on it that dreadful olympic stadium uh, mr moon didn't travel he, sure. he refused to go we, we all should have done really but uh, so i stopped being the announcer of the year before we went because i hate it it's just a soulless bowl yes
0: and over the last few years you've really made a name for yourself as a keynote speaker yes, so it'll
1: absolutely. be interesting
0: to talk a little bit about that journey from relatively safe employment with the bbc um, to actually doing your own thing mm. And uh, first of all Were you a freelancer at the BBC Or were you on the payroll
1: So I was on the payroll from 1987 to 1994 Sure So seven years of BBC pension I've got to look forward to when I retire um, Don't spend it all at once No I won't But actually they're quite good the BBC pensions, okay. Because most BBC people tend to be very vocational They really love their job And when they retire they just die They've lived nothing else sure. to live for So they're still quite a good pension Okay life. So the reason I um, became freelance in 1994 was because I got an offer to do a voiceover for Maynard's Wine Gums. Oh yes, yep. Yeah. I haven't thought about this for a long time, so it's making me laugh. <laughs> Maynard's Wine Gums, and they, uh, my agent got a call saying, um, "No, well, no, I didn't. I didn't have an agent at the time, but I, I then got an agent to just to deal with this because when you staff, you don't need an agent because you're just, you know, sure regular money coming in." But I got this inquiry and someone said, oh, you should put that through an agent. So I thought, I'll get an agent. So, And they said, yes, we're from Maynard's Wine Guns and we're doing a new campaign and we want you to be the voice on the advert. And I thought, they must just love my voice. It must be like, you know, if you do chocolate or coffee, it would be this lovely, rich voice. And they said, yeah, well, what we're doing is a special campaign and it's for these green Maynard's wine gums. If you find a green one in the packet, then you win something. Okay. So we want you to play a chirpy cockney (laughs) greengrocer. Says about having more greens. So it wasn't because I had a lovely voice at all. Just because I... Just
0: where you happen to be brought up. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I
1: don't even sound particularly chirpy and cockney, do I? I think... No. That's all been softened. I was the only kid in my school that pronounced the H in West Ham. (laughs) And that was because my mum was a teacher and she wouldn't let me drop them. So in fact... One year at West Ham, when we're in danger of relegated, being relegated, which doesn't really narrow it down because we often were, um, with three games to go, the chairman, David Sullivan, said um, he didn't want me to do the, the last read of the West Ham team before they ran out. They wanted Chris Akabusi to do it. OK. Yeah, Chris Akabusi. Yes, team. I mean,
0: he's on the speaking circuit as well, isn't he? He's on the speaking circuit yeah. as well.
1: Excitable um, athlete uh, from the really With the
0: catchphrase, was it a wooger?
1: Of lots of, from record breakers. Type yes. of days, Yeah. 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 And he speaks very, very quickly, and but he is a, London, a proper Londoner. Mm. He sounds more like a Londoner than I do. So the chairman said, "We're, we're going to get Chris Akabusi to get the crowd going because just between you and me, Jeremy, you don't sound very Londony." And I said, "Okay, that's fine." And Chris is my mate, so that was all right. Um, so he he did it just the last three just to get the crowd going and uh, we got relegated, and I've never let him forget that. I say, of course, you <laughs> took them down, Chris. His fault, yeah. his
0: fault entirely. Okay, so keynote speaking became something that you do, and became one of the day jobs. Yeah, well, but... I'll tell you how
1: how the keynote mm. speaking came about. When when you are on the radio or on the telly, people ask you to open things or introduce things or give things. You know, do an award show So I did I did a lot of award shows and a lot of being the MC at conferences. And I did the first of those in 1994. So that's a heck of a long time ago, isn't it? Mm. Um, Over 20 odd years ago. And that was a conference on the QE2 for Independent Financial Advisors. It was called PIMS 94, Personal Investment something. And that went really well. And, And for the next 10 years, I was just happy just to get a bit of extra pocket money just hosting events and saying, please welcome some bloke from some big corporate. And then at the end, I go, oh, that was that bloke. And I do a few little funny bits, and people say, oh, he's quite good. Let's get him again. But what I realised was that the hour in between, when the keynote speakers were on and they were corporate types, they were very, very boring. And people often used to say to me, oh, you've made that event. We you know, we, we found it a bit dull, but then you came on and did the bits in between. And I thought, you know what? I shouldn't just be in between. I should be actually doing the bits. So I wrote uh, my first keynote talk which was called thinking on your feet how to use skills from broadcasting that anyone in business could do to think on their feet sure um i think the first time i did i did this big ibm event in dublin and it was a three-day event and they had all people from uk ireland and south africa came for it and i had in my contract should anyone not make it i would be an emergency keynote speaker and I'd had that in my contract for quite a few years at those sort of events and it never been asked for you know most of my keynote speaking had been to networking groups really sure you know for not much money for sort of three figures instead of four yeah but I had it in this IBM contract that I'd got this thinking on your feet keynote and then on it was a three-day event on the first evening they said to me "Uh, we think there might be a problem I don't think the Scottish delegates are going to make it because there's been an incident at the airport Glasgow airport I don't know if you remember it but Al Qaeda would attack um, Glasgow airport yes I do some, Yes, set some taxis on fire and sent them down I a mean, slope hmm. towards the main door uh, and so it meant the Glasgow people couldn't get there yeah. and so I then had to do my talk which was called thinking on your feet and I realised that uh, I needed to stay up all night to think about what it might actually <laughs> be in it because you know it, it was okay but it wasn't IBM standard
0: no was. and I presume it was something you had drafted some time ago maybe had some slides potentially on a
1: USB key but not revisited for some time. That sort of, exactly that sort of thing. Mm. And it's like, you know, when I got my USB stick out, the, the PowerPoint was about three versions back and might not sure. work and all of that. So I stayed up all night sorting that out. And then uh, I did my opening bit. And I remember my opening line about, the reason I'm doing this is because the Glasgow delegation couldn't get here. They sent a text. It just says, Flaming Taxes. <laughs> 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 so that got me to a good shot. And then I I literally just picked on lots of, Instance that happened the previous day at the event, and then stories from broadcasting about what to do when things go wrong and how to Mm. turn it around. Sure, and and that Uh, went really well. And and from that, my keynote speaking then moved from doing it to small, sort of business networking groups to doing it to quite big corporates.
0: Fantastic, it was a great name to have under your belt with IBM. Yeah, Um, and also there's a top tip there which won't be relevant for the majority of listeners, but for those who do speak. Um, in fact I heard this tip first of all from Warren Cass Mm. to always have a spare presentation loaded up on a USB stick on your person somewhere because you never know when a speaker's needed
1: no absolutely and in fact if I go into my bag here I'll just go slightly off mic and we'll hear some nice noises I'll show you that here's my key ring and if I just unclip that from the little retainer thing in my backpack you'll see that there's my front door key my chub, my Yale, my car keys and then a little thing there which is just a usb stick and that's got all of my keynotes on it fantastic so wherever I am, and it's all in the cloud as well uh, which you know for the young people
0: this is it so um, you, you oh. might need to adapt that to your own industry um, yeah. given that most people aren't speakers but for the listeners um, if you can find a way to to carry your stuff around with you you never know when you can use it no. so um, keynote speaking developed um, obviously from IBM you then spoke to I, I presume other corporates hmm. um, you know, less did less of the um driving around the uk to very small networking groups and started speaking to uh, more engaged bigger um, wider audiences hmm. in terms of um, what can be learned from keynote speaking and learned insofar as practising the trade of keynote speaking. Mm. You've said there's a million things, a million tips that you've got, but not quite a million. Mm. Uh, What would you say are the top three tips that you could give to anybody who has to deliver presentations or has to speak in public um, but doesn't necessarily feel very polished or expert at it?
1: The big thing is to practise. Most people spend ages writing it and then they don't start practising it out loud till the night before. So, my big thing is you've got to practice out loud and you've got to practice standing up. Sure. Because it's not until you do that you realize actually your legs are shaking, mm. that your voice has gone a bit dry. And, yeah. Um, and you haven't ever thought that you can't say certain words. So, wh- when I used to read the news on the BBC World Service, I could never say in an attempt. Mm. I can say it slowly, in an attempt, but at speed it would sound drunk, in an attempt. So I would, if someone else had written the script, I would cross it out and put in a bid. Because sure. I, I can say in a bid, in a bid, in a bid, in an attempt. In a, It's hard. Mm. I could never say British citizenship. Because I can tell that's a tongue twister. Yeah. It, I'm not going to try it. Because it's every chance you're going to say citizenship. It's, mm. it's very easy to slip into that. So I remember there was a big story about Muhammad Al-Fayed had applied once again for British citizenship. Sure. And I just thought, you know what, I can't. I can't on the world service say citizenship about yes. Alfired, so I changed it to UK citizenship, no problem.
0: Mm. So what would you change Jeremy Hunt to? He, uh, <laughs> he seems to be the tongue twister of the day, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, I don't know why so many people um, get have problems with his name, but it, it was Victoria Derbyshire the most recent most recently, one, wasn't it? yeah. Mm. And she and she stopped and said, Do "You know, I've never said that before. It's usually men that say that." <laughs> and I do apologise. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't think i i think i just changed jeremy hunt for somebody else i blame mm. him for making my name become rhyming slang mm. Mm. so um God, a bit of politics there yes so anyway i've given you one tip haven't i which is um practice practice, practice. yeah
0: sure and um if i can just drill into that tip slightly what what really? do you make of um virtual reality training and some that people are doing nowadays
1: yeah i mean anyth- anything that basically shakes you up and makes you Think, oh, this is real. This is I'm really going to have to do this. So if it puts you in the room so that you can practice doing it, then great, fantastic. Um, but my main thing is get yourself away from the laptop and get yourself into the. It, it, it's like you know, if you're if you learning to walk after an accident, you've got crutches. You've got to throw the crutches away, otherwise you're never going to do it. Sure. So they're they're good to start with. So the laptop's good for structuring it, working it all out. But then when you actually got to think about it, you don't want to look like you're looking down. Absolutely. So with all the Conservative leadership contenders... Oh,
0: they were dreadful, apart from Michael Gove.
1: Yeah. I mean, Mike, well, Michael Gove is way cleverer than any of them. Mm. He won't get elected. I mean, Boris will get, get in mm. and it will be a disaster. But
0: in terms of pre- pure but, presentation skills, yeah. the rest of them didn't have a clue what, what was on the next page.
1: Yeah. So I, I heard Esther McVeigh do, doing a piece about, oh, you know, we've got to get things better because we can't keep building these runways with the crosswinds where they can't take off. And mm-hmm. Ian Dale on LBC was interviewing, I said, Where are they? And she went, uh, um, on the continents. And she couldn't remember where it was. I <laughs> said, well don't don't say it then. Yeah. What you have to, I, th- I always think with keynote speaking it's more important to be an expert in what you're speaking about than it is to be a good speaker. Yes. So position yourself as a real expert on yourself and only speak on stuff you know about. Sure. You know, sometimes people say to me, Can you speak about this, Jeremy? Can you speak about the future of work? No.
0: Mm. Well I think that's actually um, I, I don't want to steal mm. your thunder of um tips two and three. Yeah. Um but actually speaking about what you know about yeah. and remembering that if you're asked to do a presentation, yeah. um, you know, whether it's within a job or you, you have to do a sales presentation, it's because you know mm. your subject.
1: Yeah. And the you could pretty I mean any of us could do a presentation on pretty much anything. Mm. You know, if someone said to me, Can you do a presentation on the pyramids of ancient Egypt? I don't know anything about them. I've seen them. I know they're in Egypt. I know they're very old. I know the shape of them, but you know, I don't know much about them other than that. But you know, with a a couple of days on Google, I could do a darn good presentation on it. The problem would be when someone then asks questions. Yes. And I think well, I don't know that because I only know what I know. I don't know the other bits. So I think only speak on subjects where you'd be comfortable if someone asked you loads of questions. Sure. And my key subjects which are all about communication in business you know I'm not because I'm a I'm a media you know I grew up in the media I didn't grow up in business I had to become a business person to run my speaking business and I had to learn a bit about business because I was hosting a lot of business events but I'm never going to know as much about it as somebody who went and did an MBA or you know did business studies at university absolutely I, I did engineering and then broadcasting
0: okay so any other top tips that you would like to give
1: um, now, you, this is quite controversial, but because my big thing is how to get laughs, um, you'd think I'd say be funny, but actually I'm going to say don't be funny unless you're funny. Mm. And so many people start presentations and they think, oh, I've, I've heard you should always start with a joke. So they start with something and then it, you know it gets a groan or it gets no reaction or it's misjudged. It's a killer for confidence. Yeah, so why the hard? You know, the hardest thing in life, one of the biggest fears in life, is speaking in public. Even harder than that is trying to make people laugh. So don't put pressure on yourself. Sure. Never tell jokes, and if you do want to put humour in, put a funny story in, but not a joke. Never. There were these three blokes, right? (laughs) Don't do that, because then the audience instantly fold their arms. They're under pressure, and they're thinking: first of all, are we going to find it funny? Are we going to get it? Is it going to be bad taste? Whereas if you just say, oh, I was just speaking to so-and-so earlier, and then you do a funny line off the back of that, it everyone feels, you know, e- even if they don't laugh, they've still heard the little story and the point you're making. So for me, that, to make this, I know you like your bite-sized tips. Yes. The bite-sized tip would be humour should always be the icing on the cake. It's not the cake. Fantastic. So so you've still, if you give someone a bit of information, and, and the, all the humour does is help... Helps them, you know, because a cake's a bit boring, isn't it? But a bit icing on it, lovely. Mm. So you're giving them medicine with a spoonful of sugar. That's that's what it is. But don't ever make that your main reason for doing it, because otherwise that can go horribly wrong.
0: Absolutely. We, we need to remember we're not comedians. Now, mm. we're going to be coming up to the rapid-fire questions um, very shortly. But, Jeremy, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here, although we did talk about it slightly. Yeah. Um, so, as you know, I've recently become the vice chairman of Hungerford Town, the National League Southside. Yes. And I imagine that for the supporter base of Hungerford Town, one of the things that they would have loved to have heard mm. was their team being represented in the FIFA games. Right. You were the voice of FIFA from FIFA 06 to
1: FIFA 16, I That's believe. It. 11 consecutive games yeah wow so so the voice would be goal for West Ham scored by Andy Carroll excellent so Andy Carroll is actually injured even on FIFA
0: (laughs) fantastic so I'm going to ask you to do a little bit on Hungerford Town now we're not going to include any of the players because the the teams change season after season Um, although if you'd like to refer to a player I know that we've got one of our young players Dan Bailey who's continuing into the next season
1: bless you for giving me the name of one of their players because I have to say I don't follow Hunger for Town as no, so closely as I might you
0: will do, they will become your next second team Okay. would you like any other details before you can run with a um, a bit of commentary for Hunger for Town
1: right, Okay. now I, d- I know you want some commentary, I should just state that on a FIFA game you have three voices, you've got a commentator then you've got a pundit and then you've got the announcer. And I'm the announcer. So the commentator is the one that goes, oh, the ball's come across. He's headed it down and it's a goal. That voice is yes. usually Martin Tyler or someone like that, Clive Tilsley. Sure. Then the pundit will be go, oh, he's done well there, the lad. That, that was mm. you know, like an Alan Hansen, Andy Gray type figure. And then the announcer goes, golf hunger for town scored by Dan Bailey. And that's me. Fantastic, but so what's his number? Do you know his number, Dan Bailey? Do you know
0: I don't? That's right. embarrassing, isn't that it? That doesn't, we,
1: yeah. So anyway, I feel like I've just done it, but you want me to do that again? Let's
0: let's go for that.
1: Yeah. And what would the attendance be? Because I, I do, I'm very good on attendances.
0: Oh, excellent. So the attendance at Hungerford has been between 200 to 250. However, yeah, since being involved, um, we're aiming for our first match, Load the Lane, to get a thousand people through the doors at Bolpit Lane. Right, so okay. let's go with a thousand.
1: Okay, let's go for one thousand and twenty. Three. Perfect. Just, no, I tell you what, 1,042, just because I like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and 42 is a very special number because it's the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Are you a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fan?
0: I'm not, no. no, it's a shame because
1: 42 is a magical number. Lewis Carroll was obsessed with it, and so was Sanjeev Bhaskar. That's why the the Kumars live at number 42. Wow, no idea. No, anyway, that's not interesting remotely. Okay, today's attendance, 1,042. And the man of the match, Dan Bailey. So I'd do man of the match, that sort of thing.
0: Fantastic. No, that's great. You are going to get so many retweets from Hunkford supporters now. Thank you very much. So rapid fire questions. Rapid fire. This is where we have some fun. And the listeners who have um, suffered previous episodes would know that you don't know what questions are going to come up. Okay. So don't worry if you have to stop for um, right. some time to to think of the answer or just mm. come up with the answer that comes off the top of your head.
1: And this is where I look at that list you emailed me, yeah?
0: That's, that's <laughs> the one. Yeah. So, um, first question. What book, apart from one of your own, is yeah. the book that you've recommended to the most people?
1: Yeah, so it's a book by Bob Monkhouse. Remember Bob Monkhouse? I do. Game show host. Also a brilliant stand-up comedian. But he wrote a brilliant book on speaking and... Um, originally it was called Just Say a Few Words and then it was uh, the second edition onwards it was called I think The Speaker's Handbook Uh, and I managed to buy the second edition as well thinking oh he's written another one which that's clever I thought he was dead but it turned out it's just uh, but it's Just Say a Few Words and it's just gives some lovely anecdotes about him as an after-dinner speaker and him as an MC, and just full of top tips on how if you ever get asked to host an event you know, and someone says just say a few words this is what to do
0: fantastic next one if you were to form a mastermind group with um three other people in it who, hmm. who would you choose to be round that table
1: well i am in a mastermind group with other people
0: how many others
1: uh there's four of us
0: oh you've, you've you've got to make a harsh choice or choose different people
1: right okay <laughs> so well my real life mastermind group sure is uh claire Boyles linda shaw uh tiffany kemp and mark lee yes and they're all professional speakers yes um
0: in fact i think i know all of them
1: right okay yes. yeah so you know they've got brilliant skills in terms of marketing and neuroscience and magic and contracts and yes. so yeah all I, I think the important thing with the mastermind group is don't have people that do what you they need to be in the same field as you but they need to be doing different things yes so th- so they need to be footballers, but if you're a midfielder, they should be a goalkeeper, a defender, and a striker.
0: Completely. Um, so, so if you were to broaden it to anybody, um, dead or alive, um, fictional or non-fictional, who, who would you choose?
1: Yeah, so definitely Bob Munkhouse. Um, and then uh, for comedy, uh, I would go for Stuart Lee. Okay. Um, West Midlands comic, but now lives mm. in North London. Uh, and you might know him from TV's stuart lee's comedy vehicle yeah. um, but that's not on at the moment and he's i think he's what i like about him is he just plays with the audience he doesn't care whether they like it or not and when bits go wrong he relishes that more than when it's going right and he recorded his dvd at the stand in glasgow which is like the hardest place for an english comic to be never mind record the dvd there uh, bob Monkhouse, just because he'd be brilliant at thinking of the cuff and then the other thing i do a lot of is storytelling so i'd want a brilliant storyteller and I would go for Brian Blessed. Fantastic. Um, and if you ever get a chance to listen to either of Brian Blessed's audiobooks, The Panther in My Kitchen, and I can't remember what the other one's called, but it's it's just extraordinary stories about his life. The time he met Picasso, the time he met the heavyweight champion of the world, and it's just, just told with such relish. And I remember interviewing Brian Blessed twice, actually. Once when I had my own show on Radio 4, um... Uh, on five live called you cannot be serious and it was like funny stories with people and he'd just been up mount everest and he arrived late and me and kevin day the comedian and mel and sue were the other people fantastic we, we just all pretended to be brian blessed telling the stories and then he literally arrived with a minute to go and he'd been walking around broadcasting house couldn't find the studio just listening to all the speakers where we were pretending to do him and he didn't mind a bit and then another time I met him when Robin Hood International Airport was opening in Doncaster. Yes. Now you'd think Robin Hood Airport should be in Nottingham. No. And so should and the people of Nottingham thought that as well. So I went as a BBC TV person to interview him saying, you know, the people of with took a Robin Hood person from the tales of Robin Hood in Nottingham to, to meet him saying you shouldn't really have this airport in Doncaster, but that's where he's, he's from around that area. And he just gave not only gave me a brilliant interview Afterwards, he just kept telling me stories, and then he he just suddenly went, Gordon's alive! You know, from Flash <laughs> Gordon, and just went, a bonus. <laughs> and, we and we couldn't use that in the piece, but I've kept that clip, a bonus.
0: Fantastic. Brilliant. Next question. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self?
1: Um, do what you like, because then it won't seem like a job. Mm. Because... I loved English and history and everyone said, oh, you're good at physics, maths and chemistry, go off be an engineer. And actually being good at something is not the same as liking it. I love stories, so I should have done English and history. And then um, done a history degree, which would have been a lot more in, you know, useful to me and what I do now, uh, than the engineering stuff. So, yeah, always do what you like.
0: Brilliant. What's the um, biggest mishap that's happened whilst you've been on stage? Um... Or indeed behind a microphone, if that helps.
1: So I was once interviewing Brian Clough, the manager of Nottingham Forest, and he punched me in the face. That was okay. Cool. That's that was probably <laughs> that'd be cool. interesting. That was quite a tricky one. And I was once hosting the Good Funeral Awards, and the we did um, it's a real thing, and the Gravedigger of the Year accidentally got the wrong trophy. He got Crematorium Assistant of the Year, and the Crematorium Assistant of the Year got Best New Funeral Celebrant, and the Best New Funeral Celebrant accidentally got given the Lifetime Achievement oh. in the Funeral Industry. Because the, no one had read the little discs on okay. the and, it, and when we realised the lifetime achievement in the funeral industry had gone to someone who was about 20, mm. um, we had to have a bit of a swap shop.
0: Oh, dear. That that could be awkward.
1: Yeah. But if you're going to die on stage anywhere, good funeral boards is a probably perfect, a, a good place. to A good uh, place. Yeah.
0: Um, so, I'll, I'll, on that rather humorous note, mm. and this is probably the question that most humorists, um, if there are other humorists out there... Um, I don't know that don't, there
1: are. I think they call themselves comedians. I just came up with the name humorist yes. because it seems sounds more responsible. Okay. I, I get more work from it. But, so, as
0: a humorist, tell us a joke.
1: Okay. See, the, I'll just say one problem with humorist. No one knows how to spell it. So, it's as a search engine term, it's rubbish. Yes. Because humor... You know how we spell it different to the Americans? Yes. we, we put a U in, they don't. Humorist doesn't have a U in, in okay. either spellings. Okay. So if you Google humorous with a U and you won't find me. Wow. Tell tell us a joke. joke. Yeah, but but you see, what I've already said is that I don't really Mm. do jokes. I do funny stories.
0: Okay, have you got a funny story to hand?
1: Yeah, I've I've got loads of funny stories. Um, so So last year at the Edinburgh Fringe, I did a show called After Dinner Stories from my disastrous broadcasting career. And it was just an hour funny stories from being on the World Service commentating on football um, so would you would you like you like football don't you so football do, yeah let's go with a football do you want a sports story so when I was the announcer at West Ham one day uh, we were playing Watford and into my little con- control room little booth came a guy in a Watford blazer and he said to me uh, number 14 for Watford that's pronounced Micah Hyde it's not Mika, it's Micah Hyde. And I just thought, oh, this is good. Obviously, it's their press officer or somebody like that who's come in, you know, make sure I get the names mm. right. And I said, oh, thank you very much. I'm Jeremy, by the way. He said, yeah, I'm Micah Hyde. <laughs> and it was him, one of the Watford players. <laughs> he was so fed up with his naming on that he made it his mission to find the announcer every game and wow. say, it's Micah, not Mika.
0: Fantastic. And who says footballers are overprivileged? Yeah, you, would, you would imagine that they'd have staff who deal with that. That's that's yeah. amazing.
1: But well, now when you think when you whenever you're watching on Sky and you see the footballers arrive with their headphones on, yeah. they don't talk to anyone, do they? No. But you know, and this was, I don't know, 15, 15 years ago.
0: Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, final question, mm-hmm. and this is a nice easy one. Where can the listeners find out more about you and what you do?
1: Yes. So, my website is jeremynicholas.co.uk. Don't go to .com because that's an actor. JeremyNicholas.co.uk, and what i'm doing at the moment is previews from my edinburgh fringe show this year so last year's show was all about um funny stories from broadcasting this year is funny stories about public speaking okay because i kept getting lots of after dinner engagements from last year which was mm. great but what i really want is more of the keynote ones. so what i've come up with is what I call a comedy keynote. It's a it's a funny hour about being a better public speaker, packed with all anecdotes from good funeral awards and and, and IBM shows and all things like that. Um, and it's called "What Are You Talking About?" And I did I've just done it in Singapore. I did the world premiere in Singapore okay. to two hundred and seventy professional speakers at the Asia Professional Speakers Conference, twenty eight different countries. And just before I went on, I got really nervous thinking I'm about to go out there and just diss speakers saying this mm. is what speakers do that drive me mad. Because that's where the humor is. Sure. It is in what drives you mad. You know, if you ever want to put humor in something, think what drives me mad about this. No, no comedian ever comes out and goes, oh, I like this, don't you? <laughs> they go, oh, what about that person in front of the queue at the checkout? So I, I got really nervous thinking they're going to hate this but the first five minutes they loved and then i did the whole thing standing ovation brilliant video testimonials and i thought yeah this is going to be all right then i did it and, and then I'm, I'm now doing charity previews, doing loads of charity previews just as a guaranteed way to get an audience because people don't want to go and see comedy in pubs in june and july when it's nice and sunny no not that it I means lashing it down with rain today but uh so I'm doing the preview and then I, my first one is in edinburgh 2nd of August, I'm doing uh, 23 days in a row. Fantastic. 8.25 at night at Surgeon's Hall, which is a lovely venue. Beautiful little 120-seater theatre, the Fleming Theatre. Um, so, yeah, so if anyone fancies coming to that, jeremynicholas.co.uk has got all the details. And yeah, come and see me at the Edinburgh Fringe. Oh, and I've got some previews coming up in in the London area. I've got one in Twickenham, the Bearcat Comedy Club in Twickenham. I've got one in Ickenham, just near West Ryslip. Uh I've got one in Reading, Um, for a Zimbabwean charity and I'm doing one for a hospital in Swindon.
0: Fantastic. So, yeah. That's great, Jeremy. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for listening to The Carl Reader Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell your friends. This podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, D&T Advisory helping you unlock the magic in your business by adding value, not numbers. Find out more at www.team-dt.com QuickBooks, helping UK small businesses stay on top of their finances.